help defend the church by becoming a supporter of Family Life International. Your contributions enable us to continue our work to promote the faith, defend the family and promote the sanctity of life. Make a real difference today. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk slash donate. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Addressing the people and his disciples, Jesus said, The scribes and the Pharisees occupied the chair of Moses. You must, therefore, do what they tell you and listen to what they say, but do not be guided by what they do, since they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but will they lift a finger to move them? Not they. Everything they do is done to attract attention, like wearing broader phylacteries and longer tassels, like wanted to take the place of honor at banquets and the front seat in the synagogues, being greeted obsequiously in the market squares and having people call them rabbi. You, however, must not allow yourselves to be called rabbi, since you have only one master and you are all brothers. You must call no one on earth your father, since you have only one father, and he is in heaven. Nor must you allow yourselves to be called teachers, for you have only one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you must be your servant. Anyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and anyone who humbles himself will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. We are now in the month of November, and the church's liturgical year is winding down to its end. And soon we'll be in a new liturgical year. And so the church, as we come to the end of the year, reminds us of the four last things, namely death, which is certain, judgment, which follows it, and then heaven, hell and heaven. And it's important that we reflect on these things at least once a year, though ideally we should do it every day, since we do not know when our last day will be. And so in the month of November, the church reminds us of the holy souls, those who linger in purgatory, where they expiate the punishment, the temporal punishment due to their sins. And of course, it's important that we understand the meaning of this um, doctrine, which the church offers for us 
especially as um, this year, we, as when we recall the Protestant Revolution, that the doctrine of purgatory and with it indulgences was so brutally savaged, attacked. And also in this year, 2017, 100 years ago, our Blessed Lady came to Fatima and remind us, reminded us of the reality of that, reali of the, of, of that dogma, that teaching, namely death, judgment, hell, and heaven. If we start with the apparition of Our Lady, the three children of Fatima in the Kova in May, May the 13th, 1917, were looking after their sheep when our Blessed Mother appeared to them. And the first question that Lucia, who was the only seer to speak to Our Lady, the first question she asked was, where are you from? And she responded, from heaven. And so here is affirmed the existence of heaven, something the children, of course, knew from the teaching that they received from their parents, but also because the previous year, in 1916, an angel appeared to them and spoke to them about heaven. Lucia continued asking the, the, the lady questions about her name, which she said she would tell her later on, and then about two friends of theirs who had died. And one of them, Our Lady Amelia, Our Lady said, was already in heaven. The second one, however, about whom Lucia asked, the response was, she is in purgatory. And so, in the very first apparition in May, Our Lady speaks of heaven and of purgatory. And we need to think of purgatory not so much as a place of, of um, punishment, but rather a place where the souls are happy to be because they are on the threshold of heaven. They know that they have escaped the punishment of hell. They, they embrace willingly their sufferings because they recognize that this is the expiation due to sin. They willingly embrace it. Just like the good thief on the cross, we are only paying for what we've done wrong. He accepted the punishment as payment for what he'd done wrong, and he gets the promise, I tell you, this day you'll be with me in paradise, when he asks Jesus to remember him. This day you'll be with me in paradise. And so the, the Our Lady speaks of, uh, of, of these two. In the July apparition, the most important of the apparitions, because in July she promised to work the miracle in October, which she did three months later. In July, she showed the children a vision of hell. You've seen hell to which poor sinners go. It is to save them from that place I have come. And of course, we know that hell was not created for us. Our Lord himself said uh, in the, this, in fact, that's next week's gospel. Our Lord himself said to, in, in the parable, of the sheep and the goats, he says to, the, to those on the left-hand side, go into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was the place for the devil, not for us. To those on the right, he says, come you whom my father's blessed, take the kingdom prepared for you since the foundation of the world. So there is a kingdom prepared for us even before we, the world was created. That is our home, our destiny. 
But of course, we can choose, God has created us free to choose which one we want. As Moses said to the people, I put before you life and death, good and evil, choose. So then, some people make a choice against God, and they choose to go to the place of eternal suffering. Others wish to serve God, and as we all know, whilst we desire to serve God, nonetheless we are surrounded by temptation. St. Paul says that you have not suffered enough to the point of death in resisting temptation, because we, we know that we, we sin, as we said at the beginning of Mass, we sin through our own faults in thought, word, deed, and omission, the things we forget to do, the things we ought to do but have forgotten to do. Our thoughts, we can barely control them, especially when we're surrounded by a world inimical to God, where there are impure images all over the place, on, on the radio, on television, billboards, wherever we go, we, our thoughts are dragged back to the things that offend God. Our words, we are not as charitable as we might be, as we could be. We, because of our, our willfulness, we are inclined to say things that are either untrue or are cruel or malicious and so on. And of course, our deeds, you know, and we go through the Ten Commandments, it's easy to see that we, we frequently break the commandments, you know, whether it's sins of dishonesty or um, sins against purity and, and so on. And of course, they're the more grievous sins, those deliberate sins which you tend to forget. So we who are striving to serve God, we ourselves are subject to temptation. And so what do we do? Well, frequent confession is the way in which we can overcome our failings. And so we receive a penance which um, would expiate some of the temporal punishment due to sin. And now we come to the key, the temporal punishment. Sin by its very nature is a rebellion against God and it deserves an infinite punishment because the God's majesty whom we have offended is infinite. Or a better word perhaps would be an eternal punishment since God himself is eternal. But the, 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 the two are synonymous. It's beyond the ability of a creature to make reparation for an offense against the infinite majesty of God. And so God himself came to make up, to repair the damage done by Adam's sin and our own. This is what we call the incarnation, and in particular, the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary. By his death, he rubbed out the eternal punishment due to our sins. However, we are in partnership with him, and what we are able to erase, he has allowed us, he's left for us to erase. And this is what we call the temporal punishment due to sin. So there's the eternal punishment, which is hell, but there's also a temporal punishment. We can think of it as a body and soul. The soul, which is immortal, will go to hell, but the body itself, which cooperates with the soul in committing sin, also has to be punished. And the body, as we know, ends up in the grave until the day of the resurrection. So the eternal punishment is erased in the sacrament of confession. The temporal punishment we erase by the penance that we, um, that the priest gives us, 
and also by the other things that we do to improve our spiritual life, such as the prayers that we make, our daily prayers, the stations of the cross, the rosary, the fasting, and all the other uh, penitential exercises. All of these contribute to the raising of the temporal punishment. And we have a solid scripture background, foundation for this. If we think of the case of Moses, Moses had a rough time with the people of Israel. They complained and grumbled and so on, till the point he was really very annoyed. And when they complained about the lack of water, the Lord told him to stand on the rock and to strike the rock once. Moses, who was really provoked by the ingratitude of the people, perhaps also of a lack of faith in himself, struck the rock twice, and God was very angry. I think, well, what difference does it make whether he strikes it once or twice? St. Paul tells us that the rock was Christ. This is the rock that followed them in the wilderness. And Christ was struck once. There's only one, only one way for redemption through Christ, his death. There is no other. Moses, in striking the rock twice, had broken the symbolism. And it could be interpreted mystically, with a different track of theology, it could be interpreted that there is another way in which we can be saved. But God was angry at this and said, because you have done this, the punishment is you will not enter the, the promised land. And so the sin was forgiven, there's no doubt about it, but the temporal punishment remained, he would not enter the promised land. He could only see it from the top of Mount Nebo. Similarly, we have the people um, who were grumbling. And again, the Lord was angry with them and was going to, they were grumbling about the manna. We are tired of this unsatisfying food. And the Lord punished them by allowing the serpents to come and bite them. Again, we have the temple. Um, Moses interceded for the people and the Lord said, yes, I forgive them their sin. However, not one of them will enter into the promised land. We have another example of David, the well-known case of his adultery and, and the murder of Uriah. Um, and when David is um, confronted by the prophet, uh, Nathan, and Nathan says, you are the man, David repents. In fact, he even went to write the Psalm, the Miserere, indicative of his repentance. The prophet said, you die. David repented. The, the, the prophet then says, you will not die, but your son will die. And David fasted and prayed and begged for the life of his son. But no, that was the temporal punishment. This, the serious the, the, the serious sin of murder and of the adultery and murder, which leads to hell, that had been forgiven. But the temporal punishment remained, the death of his son. And we have, again, in the book of Maccabees, there are many examples. The book of Maccabees, where the, the, um, the, the Israelites were fighting against the, the pagans, and some of them were amulets, pagan um, uh, magical charms. 
they were fighting for their religion, they were fighting for their God, they were fighting for their homeland, they were fighting for the temple and so on. But nonetheless, their hearts were not fully with God and they were punished by death. When the bodies were stripped, they, they found these magic charms and Judas Maccabeus said, you see, God who knows all things has revealed the things that are secret and these men have perished because their hearts were not holy with the Lord. Nonetheless, they have died for God. And therefore he had a collection taken of 12,000 drachma, a colossal amount of money, to send to Jerusalem for a sacrifice to be offered for those who had died, so that their sins, the punishment due to their sins, might be forgiven. And the Holy Spirit comments on this by saying, it was a pious and noble thought that he should pray for those who had fallen so that their sins might be forgiven. For if there is no resurrection, then it's foolish, it's superfluous to pray for the dead. So then these are just some three or four examples in this, from the scriptures of the, the distinction between the eternal punishment and the temporal punishment. With Christ, the eternal punishment is now erased, but the temporal punishment remains. And so if we leave this world either in a state of venial sin or in a state where, where we still have punishment, temporal punishments due to sin, then we will linger in purgatory for a while until the expiation is complete. If we die in a state of unrepentant mortal sin, we will undoubtedly go to hell. If we die in a state of perfect grace, then heaven, the place prepared for us before the foundation of the world is wide open to us. And there's no reason why we won't enter immediately. But however, as we know, and scripture tells us, nothing impure enters into heaven. We know that we may not be in that perfect condition, and so gladly will we enter into the cleansing fires of purgatory, knowing that there God's mercy cleanses us and makes us fit citizens for his eternal kingdom. And so here on earth, the church pursues us, pursues the dead, all her members, and she prays for the souls who have departed and who linger in purgatory. We see this in the Eucharistic prayers where there is, a, there, there is a special prayer, praying, make it intercession for the dead. So it is a good and worthy thing, a pious thing, to pray for the dead that they may be freed from their sins. We ought then to pray for, first of all, our parents, if they have gone to the eternal reward. We pray for our ancestors in general. We ought also to pray for our benefactors, among whom we should not forget our godparents, we should not forget our teachers, the priests who baptized us, and all of those who have in some way contributed to our spiritual life. We should not forget our friends, neighbors, people whom we've encountered, because God desires the salvation of all, and so should we. And of course, we should not forget our enemies, for they also have contributed greatly to our sanctification if we have had the grace to forgive them. 
our Lord himself tells us this. So there are many for whom we should pray. We should also remember those who have no one to pray for them. And we should do that with great generosity. For we, might, we ourselves might one day be in need of such prayers. And so in this month of November, let us pray fervently, arduously for the souls of the faithful departed. Let us ask God in his mercy to free them and to speedily unite them to the eternal banquet in heaven. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. May they rest in peace. May the souls of the faithful departed, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen. This MP3 recording has been made available by Family Life International. Help us to make many more available in order to promote our Catholic faith. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk and donate today. Thank you.